Galloway. And I'm Tracy Galloway. Welcome to our podcast, 36 Questions. This is an unscripted show where we candidly and spontaneously answer 36 questions that lead to love. Now, these 36 questions were invented by psychologist Arthur Aaron, who created this exercise to help people be vulnerable in order to foster closeness and intimacy. We have been married 26 years and have four almost grown children together. We've both been in Christian leadership for almost 30 years now. I've been a pastor, you've been a pastor, and we've both been student pastors. And I lead right now a nonprofit organization that does outreach to people experiencing homelessness. You know, our hope is that as we dig deep into each other's lives, that you will be inspired to find more intimacy and authenticity in your own relationships. Let's dive in. Episode 8 of 36 Questions. Yep. In the house. Well, um, this time, our question is, and it's number 8, name three things you and your partner appear to have in common. Hmm. Appear to have in common or have in common. Well, this was designed, remember, for two strangers. Was it? Yeah. That this psychiatrist designed this study for two strangers never having met to go through 36 questions together to fall in love and well <laughs> you know to see or draw it, close see if there's some intimate, sort of to be connection close. yeah yeah which it did right. work i guess some of them they also had to stare into each other's eyes for four minutes without you know, talking we need to do that yeah. we've been doing the question but we haven't sat and staring well, each other's I think, eyes i think they went through all 36 and they stared in, at the end into each other's eyes i think they stare into each other's eyes like every six like they do six take a break and stare you know, we really should learn more about 36 questions we really should really just kind of <laughs> shooting from the hip here hey that's something we have in common shooting what? from the hip <laughs> yes. spontaneously doing things <laughs> shooting from the hip winging it uh, you and I are both, well, I, maybe you are more, le- you you do that less than I do. I'm more of well, a Well, I wouldn't say, okay, here's the way I'd put it. Not that we're spontaneous, because I'm not that spontaneous. Mm. We're both pretty gutsy. Mm. Like, we've always like, yeah, we can do it. Sure. <laughs> Doesn't mean we know how. It's like, we just dream it and we believe it. Like, oh, let's do it. That's true. I think part of that is because when we were young, we went to, when we were teenagers, we went yeah. to the same church and it was a faith church, yeah. which can go, can lean in a direction that I don't it's totally love. sometimes. Yeah. It can lean Name in a it, very self-focused direction. <laughs> I don't like that part of it, but one of the cool things about it is it gave us that foundation of believing that with God, all things are possible. Yeah. We believed in miracles. We believed. And saw them. Healing. Yeah. And we saw it. We did it. I mean. We did. Yeah. And so, yeah, you're right. We're both pretty gutsy because we've done some gutsy things, some gutsy missions trips, gutsy outreach um, forever. And I don't, I haven't been that afraid. We just go for it. And um, and sometimes that got us in trouble too. <laughs> we got in yeah. over our heads a few times. That's true. But we mostly we had did. a lot of fun because we did amazing things that normal most, people don't do. Exactly. I think that's we're another. Not normal. We're not normal. <laughs> that's a great yeah, that's a good one. That should be the book we write together, the title. We're, We're not, not normal. Because <laughs> <laughs> the truth is, I meet other women, and out of a thousand, it's really hard for me to find one that's 
similar to me. Yeah. I feel really different. You're a one in a million, honey. Oh, thanks, hun. I don't know. I don't know what it is. Maybe it's just my own insecurity that I feel different, but I definitely feel different than other women. And I've done a lot of things that other women don't normally do. And mm. so therefore I do feel very different. And I think you're very different too. You're different than other guys. I've always, and I mean from a small child felt like different, like, okay, I'm not like the other kids. I don't know. I just felt like I'm the weird one. I don't all kids kind of feel that way because all four of our kids maybe have felt they, that way. Maybe they I do, think that's part of growing up and feeling insecure. I did not. I was not a joiner. I was not in clubs. I wasn't in sports. I was just doing my own thing. Hmm. I just wasn't interested in that stuff for the most part. I did a couple things, but mostly I was just, yeah, just wanted to do my own thing. Mm-hmm. And you still do. You prefer that's not to true. work for someone else. You'd want to just work for yourself and do your own thing. <laughs> Oh. That's a real high priority I do like, in your life. I do like having creative control. I think there's something in my, and this is something we have in common, is um, we're creatives. Right. I wouldn't even say we're pure creatives. Like a pure creative, like I know people who are artistic. Right. And they can do nothing but that one thing, and they're not good at anything else or a lot of other things, but man. They're amazing in that one amazing, area. Amazing, Right. right? I'd say we're the kind of creatives that are, we've got this creative edge, but then we're kind of the organizers, the mobilizers. You know, we kind of have that leadership thing mm-hmm. um, where we've got to make something happen. Mm-hmm. So I'm kind of not happy unless both of those things are met in my life in some way. But we are creatives in the fact that we're messy. We're both messy. Oh, perfect. <laughs> yes, there's something we have in common. And we just cleaned our bedroom today. So. And it's not quite clean yet. Well, but mostly. Right. For mostly. Us, really good. People come to my house and they think I'm extremely clean because I am able to do it. But naturally, I think you and I are kind of messy people. I remember early, this is an early marriage story. Um, <laughs> we had just gotten married. We lived in Northern California and we had a, a one bedroom apartment, hadn't had kids yet. And we our our apartment was a disaster zone okay the kitchen all the dishes were dirty and piled up high in the sink our bedroom the clothes were like you know up to your knees i think it's because we had no dresser okay we had no dresser so that didn't help but yet they were just thrown everywhere anyway they could have stacked them neatly somewhere what was wrong with us i don't know but then we so here there we were wallowing in our filth uh <laughs> you know and feeling like and depressed, we had jobs tired overwhelmed we're working depressed. Jo- jobs well we were just like Bleh. like I, we were overwhelmed at all the mess okay <laughs> and we couldn't do it and so we were we were moaning to our good friend Shelly Anderson. Anderson and and Shelly who is a doer. Oh, she's amazing. She she will pick up garbage anywhere she walks, anywhere on earth. Like, I need to clean up the earth, you know? Uh, so she came over to our house and she washed all the dishes. While we did what? I don't know. And washed why her? couldn't we wash the dishes? I have no what idea. What was wrong with us? Because we didn't have a dishwasher? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, but we, we were... That, That's we, like the low point of my existence on earth as a human being is but, to like live in that like messy you were apartment probably 20 years old and i was probably like 23 we were really young we were, we were young kids. and we were working and i guess we were overwhelmed i, I don't, don't know, know. And we were messy yeah we were messy. We were creative we don't have time for that we're creatives i gotta write a song <laughs> you were creative with music and i'm more creative with um acting theater drama and we used to do that together in fact when like we to decorate lived, too that's true. I love yeah. decorating. But we lived in California. We started Creative Action Ministries. Mm-hmm. Remember? Yes. 
and we would go around to churches and you would get a band together and play music and uh, I would get a drama team together and teach some dramas and then we'd go and do outreach in their local town like in the square with music and with dramas and inviting people back to the church for like a a big fun event or something to kind of draw people in the community into the church do you remember we used to do that yeah and and we did it on every mission trip we ever went on to right we all over the world big teams and some people, when they take teams, they want to paint or build something or, you know, cook and feed people. We were all about the creative stuff. Right. Right. I remember teaching a drama workshop in Kampala, Uganda, Africa mm. at a Muslim school. That's right. And there were maybe 500 students in yeah, this huge auditorium. And I'm supposed to teach a drama workshop to 500 students at this Muslim school. And I'm like, well, okay, let's go for it. And like, uh, like, if, like the average person, if they were asked to do something like that, like you want what? <laughs> you know, like. And we did our Christian dramas in front of them just to demonstrate. And then I taught them some mime activities, like how to throw the ball and how to, all these different things. And everybody laughed and had a great time. It went pretty well. But yeah, I've you've used your music and I've used the drama that I learned from going to Arts Magnet High School in Dallas, Texas, which is now called Booker T. Washington High School for the Performing and Visual Arts, long name. And I learned things there that I carry with me even to this day to teach people around the world as we travel and do ministry. We, we're creatives. So we have that in common. But you know what else I think we have in common? What? And, and by the way, I don't think we have a lot in common. You and I are very different. True. And like, I don't, I'm not into music. You're not mm-hmm. into drama. You know, I'm not into what you're into. Hardly That's at all. Star Wars? Yeah, I don't care about that. What? <laughs> okay. I don't play video games. Mm. Why, why do you do that? It's just it's a guy uh, thing, such a I waste think. of time. Anyway, walk, shoot, walk, shoot, walk, shoot. And Sounds then you like walk fun. some more and shoot What's some more. What's the name of that game? Is it it's, called Walk, Shoot? It's so boring. <laughs> Sounds like a great game. <laughs> I just don't get video it. games are I, to, I don't know how the younger generation feels about it but to me it's like a wonderful way to turn my brain off because I overthink and you know I'm just like it's like it's I, to fill your nothing box yeah exactly to fill my nothing box some people might watch sports to fill their nothing box right and we I don't don't like sports. that's another thing we have in common we don't like sports yes good point I just can't get into it yeah I just don't care I mean, Just, it's so boring. Have you ever listened to sports radio? It's my, tw- my dad does. Hours he a day. likes it. But I just nonstop, don't like nothing. Get it. Just talking about oh. nothing. I hope we're not offending anyone. <laughs> I'm sure everybody. I mean, there. we're talking about nothing. We're 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 very <laughs> right un-American in, that, in our way. We don't like football. We don't basketball, baseball. Well, we our don't son care about played football, and I enjoyed watching the game, even though I didn't understand what was going on. I just. Well, yeah, that's that's because our kids, but. And I think part of the reason most of our kids didn't play sports is we had no interest, so we didn't show any interest, so they never... They all played some sports. Yeah, t-ball or T-ball, soccer. But they never really continued. Fencing. Once they taekwondo, were... Taekwondo. Yeah. Golf. But that was when tennis. they were little. Well, yeah, you made them take a few lessons, too, along the I way. I did. Got exposed You're a good to mom. things. You're Thank a really you. good mom. Thank you. But yeah. But they didn't beg us to do that. We, you kind of made them sometimes. Well, it's good to know how to do some things. <laughs> Well, yeah, so we're not athletic, sporty people at all. We have that in common. And I I really want to be, though. You know, not not football people, 
but I really want to be like the REI person, you know, who's hiking and <laughs> That's kayaking. That's your fantasy. My fantasy is having like long curly hair, some torn jeans and hiking boots, a plaid shirt. The, 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 the so co- your dream is having an outfit. And a cool outfit <laughs> while I'm hiking, canoeing, river rafting. You know, I, I would like to camp in my mind, but the actual reality of it is I hate it because it's so uncomfortable. But I like the campfire thing, singing around the campfire. <laughs> yeah, that would be awesome. And that's something we don't have in common. You don't like being outside. <laughs> Especially camping. No thanks. Well, I guess that's I need Wi-Fi. Well, we did that one trip with our kids where the Appalachian Trail actually runs through New Jersey. Yeah. So we took our kids. This is Tracy's big idea. This, We're going to hike the Appalachian Trail. You know what it was? Is River was getting ready to apply for college. And she needed things on her application for college for her resume. I'm padding the resume. I'm okay. padding the resume. I'm like, all we have to do is go out there, hike the trail for two days, spin the night on the trail. And she can put hiked the, hike some of the Appalachian Trail or hiking the Appalachian Trail, something she enjoys doing. Which it sounds cool. Really, you're just out there hiking. But because you have the word Appalachian Trail, it looks pretty good. It's a big deal. So we went and. <laughs> yeah, I remember that death march. <laughs> we were carrying so many jugs of water because Tracy was terrified. Could we run out of water? What if we run out of water? There was no water on the trail. <laughs> Lugging there, all these jugs. They didn't gallon have. Jugs. There was nothing for water. Like if we ran out. What do you do? Did we run out? No. No. Uh, yeah, and that was a, a night like almost every other camping night I remember of not sleeping and rolling around uncomfortable all Ugh. night long <laughs> and cold. It was cold. Yeah. I also was afraid of someone coming and killing us too. Because <laughs> who knows who's out there on the Appalachian Trail <laughs> who needs our water. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah. But I, I, I would like to do it more actually, but I don't like the idea of sleeping on the trail. It's uh, mm. not easy. We have this podcast in common. Yeah. I think that's part of the creative thing. Right. We like to do something mm-hmm. creative. We do. We do. We both like public speaking. We're both comfortable getting up in front of people well, and now, speaking. You were always naturally good at it. But I had to learn from you how to get good at it. But Oh, you're sweet. Yeah. You want to do our book of the week? Oh, yeah. Let's right. do it. Well, this seems a little self-serving, this book, I have to tell you, uh, because I wrote it and it's hot off the press. It actually uh, is released um, this Friday, which is April 19th, 2019. It hits Amazon, which is the first book I will have at least, you know, in print version uh, available on Amazon ever. And it's titled Provoked, How to Love People Relentlessly and Do Beautiful Works That Make You and Others come alive how do you like that long subtitle i think your cover is really cool on that book mm. i love the hand that's on it and uh i, I like I yeah like the, the inside not so much but you know the cover no. wow really good no i let's lo- get on the shelf it's a really good book you've written a few books and this one's my favorite one so far for sure well it's number three and um yeah i put more into this book than any the other books that i wrote the two other and um why did you write this book let me interview you like i'm interviewing an author can well, i be your uh, interviewer here we are on npr on book talk <laughs> and uh so tell me what is it that made you want to write this book wow um thanks for asking um 
I actually literally in prayer felt like God gave me the green light that it was time for me to write another book. And I wasn't just going to start writing. I was like, okay, what's the concept? And so what he gave me was the title, which is provoked. And, um, the whole book is based off of uh, a couple verses in Hebrews 10, 24 and 25, where basically it says provoke one another to love and good works. And so I have been so in my job, basically for the last 17 years, working with the poor, working with my team, like getting close to people. Um, God has provoked me to um, get outside of myself, to to not just do what I would naturally or normally do stay in a safe box, in other words, but really step outside that and get close to people, especially the people on my team. Um, and to get close to people on the streets who are absolute strangers, which is really hard for me, but they've taught me so much. And I'm, I'm every month I go out on the streets and work with the homeless and every time they impact me and it touches my life. And, I try to touch their lives too. So the whole book is about how God has been challenging me and spurring me to um, do community, build community with people, be close, be intimate with people, um, to love people really when it's hard maybe sometimes for me to do that, but to really press past all this stuff to really get close to people. And I guess because he he wants me to be close to him. And it turns out to be close to God, you have to be close to people. Mm. And so the book is about a lot about, and there's a lot of crazy stories in there from the streets of encounters we had with people struggling with addiction or homelessness and, and how God melted our hearts with compassion and mercy. And, and so that, I guess there are, they're always to me like a mirror, like, well, okay, God has mercy and compassion for them, but he also has it for me. I'm no better than them. Look at all my quirks and, you know, problems and flaws. And he has such mercy upon my life. I don't deserve anything I have or anything I get. I just, it's just grace, you know? So anyway, it's, it, that's what the book's about. Well, what about somebody who is not necessarily interested or have experience about the homeless community yeah. and they're just like a normal person who's not into doing that sort of thing. Maybe they live in the country in Nebraska yeah, or yeah. in a different country. And, and it's not like there's some home, a lot of homeless people around yeah, yeah. and they don't, if, if anything, it maybe it's not something there. That's their main thing. They are stirred by. Would this book apply to them too? Yeah. It's not really a book about homelessness per se. It's mostly about me and how I was challenged to grow. But I do think part of the challenge that God is giving me is to relate to and reach out to those who are broken and hurting. Mm. And those people are everywhere. Everywhere. They can be at your work. Yeah. You know, your neighborhood, your family. So it's kind of getting outside yourself. Yeah. And to and relate entering. to people that could be really different from you in right. every way, right? Right. Because, <laughs> you know, naturally we're so drawn to be around people like ourselves. And it takes real effort to spend time with and draw close with people who are very different than you. It could be different color, different age, different, different religion, weight. different lifestyle. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, socio socioeconomically. Yeah. It's it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable. But when you do that, 
it really makes you come alive and yeah. makes you learn about yourself and it opens up your mind to others and it's just very valuable. So that's what I liked about your yeah. book is it really provokes people to action into entering into people's lives who are different from you and how to do that in a way that's very practical mm. and applicable to your life and how it adds so much to your life when you do that. So I, I thought it was really good, really challenging. I had a guy um, come up to me last week who's, I kind of vaguely remembered meeting. It was at a men's group called mm -hmm. New Canaan Society. Yeah. And so there's a lot of guys there and I kind of met them all, but I don't remember everybody's name and everything. But he said, hey, Juan, I talked to this homeless guy this morning and I never would have done that before except for what you shared. Mm. And I was like, oh, that's cool. What happened? And he said, well, this guy was begging and he asked me for a dollar. And so I just normally, of course, he said I would run from him. I'd run. I like I was afraid. I didn't want to have anything to do with it. He said, but I stopped and I asked him his name and it was Lenny. And um, I just asked him how he's doing. And we had this great conversation. I gave him a dollar, you know, but he said for the first 30 seconds, I wondered, am I going to get stabbed or shot? Like he had these unrealistic fears right. because it turned out Lenny was a really cool guy right. and he really enjoyed getting to know him, you know, and he said, thanks for doing that. You know what I find with the homeless is there's this idea that they're mentally challenged mm -hmm. and emotionally challenged and therefore you feel insecure being with them because you don't know what they're going to do. That's what, what I think. But you find the more you do what you do for a living that many of them have become that way as a result of being homeless and being left alone and not having mm. relationship or family. Yeah. And so maybe they didn't start out that way, but it's a result of being homeless that made them that way. And I also think people need to know that a lot of people that are homeless on the streets, that they're the elderly. They're people who can't work anymore because of sickness or they're too old, disability. can't get a job yeah. or disability, disability, and they don't have family. That's another commonality. Like, what, what do we have in common? This is something homeless people have in common, is that they don't have family or friends, either from broken relationships or maybe they're an immigrant or uh, maybe they were raised in a, uh, what are those homes called for kids? Like a... Orphanage? Yeah, not, not an orphanage. Oh, group home, yeah. foster home. Foster kids. Oh, lots of foster kids on the streets. A street. ton of them yeah. are homeless because when they hit a bump in their life of a situation of a job loss, instead of going to stay with mom and dad or their brother or sister, they don't have anybody. So they end up on the mm. street and then they can't get out of it. And especially the older people. So what I yeah. say to people when you think about someone who's homeless is think about your grandmother or your grandfather, or if you're older, your mom or your dad sitting mm -hmm. there on the sidewalk. How would you want people to treat them? Yeah. Because that's who they are. They're people right. like that. And so we forget uh, that they're real people with right. real stories. And I remember one time I tried to write a book. Uh, it didn't work out very well. But I wanted to write a book telling the stories of the people in the streets of what their child like, what their childhood was like. What yeah. toys did they play with? Who are their friends? Did they play baseball? Because it humanizes people that we've dehumanized. Mm -hmm. And I think we justify bad behavior across the board in any area of life when we dehumanize somebody. And then it's okay for us to act bad about them or treat them bad. Or mostly just ignore completely. Or completely ignore them because we dehumanize them. And I think what you do in this book is you make people who are forgotten 
or someone you want to look away from and it makes you want to look towards them and Mm. and touch their life and I think that's so valuable because if everybody were to do that I think the world would be a very different place there's a there's a quote that it's not my quote but um, I quote somebody in the book um, who says the opposite of love isn't hate it's indifference it's just pretending that person doesn't even exist you don't even care enough to hate them in other words right and we all do that because it's kind of like the human brain just okay these people are like me I connect Boom. Oh, these people no I didn't don't know how or what that's about so I'll just ignore that mm-hmm. you know that's unsafe I'm not sure I don't come some of that's natural I mean you have to live exactly. your life but you know Heidi Baker she's a really cool missionary lady in Africa who runs Harvest Missionary Training School. Iris she Ministries. says Iris Ministry. She's someone who says, just don't worry about all the people and all the problems. Just love the person in front of you. Yeah. That if there's someone in front of you, I don't care if they're rich or they're poor or they're smart or they're dumb or they're pretty or they're ugly or they're black or they're white. Who has God placed in front of you? Yeah. And how can you love them in that moment? Yeah, I quote her in my book, too, because she's amazing. Oh, you do? I forgot about that. she says, she has a a great uh, movie about her uh, online, a documentary, and she says something in there that really struck me. She said, honor is the currency of heaven. And she learned when she would take these teams from America to villages or whatever, um, they used to come in and put on a big show, but they learned to come in and bow down before the elders and the chiefs and pray over them and wash their feet. Of the villages. Yeah. Yeah. And, and honor the leaders. Our and daughter did that because our daughter went to that missionary training school. Yeah, exactly. And she, that was one of her favorite memories, actually, of her time going to school there, was going to the African village. Out in the bush. Out in the bush. <laughs> yeah. She called the bush bush because yeah. it's way out in the bush. And to honor the uh, leaders of that village and how that taught her so much about honoring people. And I think that's something that's really missing in our society today yeah. is in the old days back in the Jimmy Stewart black and white movie days, there was a lot of honoring, you know, Mr. Sir, yes, ma'am, yes, sir, honoring people, regardless who they were, where now it's so missing. You know, I was walking around New York City with you last week after your book launch party in Soho at that really cool bookstore. What is that bookstore called? Housing Works. Housing Works Cafe. Everyone should go there. It's all the books there are donated. And when you buy the books there, and there are cool books there. I mean, really, I I loved it better than Barnes & Noble. It was a cool bookstore. Really neat looking inside. It has a cafe. It's all old and funky and cool. And all the books are really neat. Mm -hmm. And the books you buy go to help their work with the homeless. And so all the people that work there, most of them are volunteers. And so you can go there and shop in Soho, New York. It's called the Housing Works? Housing Works. Housing Works. Right. So we did your book launch party there. It was such a cool place. Anyway, afterwards, we were doing one of those free walking tours of New York City. You go to freewalkingtours.com and you, you get on a walking tour and they tell you all kinds of cool history. And we did one of Grand Central Station, which was really fun. And I remember I was enjoying this walking tour with you. Where was I going with this? <laughs> oh, and people were not being respectful oh yeah so we're walking around the train station and there's just people from all over and everyone's using the f word everywhere i go i mean like on the sidewalk people are using the f word in front of a cafe people are using the f word in the street and it's like f this f that f this every sentence and i'm like what the heck 
and there's like a little girl walking what by us. <laughs> and I, I can't understand why a man or a woman, anybody, but especially a man, while they F the, use the F word so loud, so much right in front of women and children. To me, yeah. I was like, whoa, like what, what world are we living in? Right. Anyway, there's no honor or respect anymore. That kind of gets my goat. And I just wanted <laughs> I to kind of so. put my two cents in there that if you're using the F word, cut it out. Anyway, if you want to buy a copy of my book, guess what? Half the money goes to actually help the homeless. Uh, but I think you might enjoy it. So you can go to Amazon and look up Provoked and Juan Galloway. You'll find it. And hope you enjoy it. It was fun writing. It took me a couple of years to write this thing. Yeah. And I, I really... Yeah, I, I put everything I had into this one, so I hope people enjoy it. Order it today. Go now. Fourteen ninety nine For yourself or for a friend. Birthday, Christmas. All right, so that's the book of the week. And we're back. I think well, we really answered um, the questions about what we had in common. Well, I don't know if, if we did three things. We said uh, we're creatives, we're messy. <laughs> Um, we're quirky or, you know, I don't know, like different. we're, we're not normal. That not was one. normal. Yeah, we're not for sure. Um, I guess maybe this is obvious from all, everything we just talked about today, but we've always been pretty hardcore, like Bible following Jesus Christians. Yeah. And yeah. we're not going to mess around like, like, you know, it, we don't just make it what we think or, well, you know, I don't like that part. Like we're pretty... Like, we're always, this is the standard. We're going to live by it. Right. You know? And so that's that's been true everywhere we go and whatever we do, that people mm. know, like, you know, what we stand for. I feel like when people sway from the Bible, when they decide there's certain parts that they don't agree with or don't like, or they decide that the Bible is not the Word of God, they tend, not everybody, but uh, in my experience, they tend to start living a lifestyle that can be, I believe, detrimental to their soul. And it's just a dangerous place to go. And it's, I think the postmodern view is so, I was studying this when I was going to London School of Theology for my master's degree in biblical interpretation. And I remember doing a paper on postmodernism and how it's really... <sighs> I mean, I believe in being postmodern in a cool way. Like, I want to be cool and wear cool hair and flip-flops and be casual you and hipster. Be, you want to be a millennial? Is that what you're saying? <laughs> well, not too totally. Late. I'm a little you're too old. old. I'm Generation X. But when it comes to your belief, I think people think it's a new thing to think the Bible is uh, a book of suggestions or something. Like, they think that's new. But that's been something that's been coming up all throughout the history of Christianity and each time if you look in history each denomination that started to lean that way like just recently they had a vote with the Methodist Church where they were going to vote about that and each denomination that's voted to say the Bible is a book of suggestions not the word of God all of those denominations those churches within 100 years started to die or within 50 years started to die they started all the churches are closing down they're selling off the churches because they started to say you know these things in the bible don't relate well to our culture so therefore we're going to choose culture over the bible and then when they do that they think that's going to draw all the people into their church 
but it doesn't. In fact, because most people that go to church are people who believe in the Bible and they believe in Jesus. And so when they find out that church isn't teaching the Bible and believing the Bible with Jesus, then nobody's going anymore and it's empty and it closes down. And that's what I've seen. I don't know. What do you think? Well, I mean, as I read through the New Testament, even the early church, it was a constant thing. People would try to take it the, you know, the teachings of Jesus and, and put their own spin on it and make it something it's not and say, yeah, but you have to do all these other things too. And, you know, Paul was constantly like, whoa, don't, no, 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 don't, don't do that. Don't let them preach another gospel. Don't let them make up some other, you know, rules or laws or whatever. And so, you know, from the very beginning, you know, people wanted to find their own spin on it and make it what they wanted it to be uh, rather than, Let's do what Jesus said to do, you know, because to follow Jesus, you're following his teachings. And if you're not following his teachings, then you're not following Jesus. I think you can be a religious person, but not be following Jesus at all. You can be a good person doing good works and loving people, but not following Jesus. And Jesus's teachings are so controversial. They are. It's true. I mean, there's things in there that are like, what? Ah, you know. It's, it's tough, but those are the things we wrestle on. And I, I heard a great message once called Hard Candy, and it, it was about how the teachings, the hard teachings of Jesus are like a hard candy. You have to kind of suck on it for a while, roll it around in your mouth. You have to think about it. You have to pray on it. Mm. And how as you do that, God will reveal to you what, you know, his heart, because his heart is always loving in the midst of even the hard things. Just like as a parent with our kids, we have to teach them things that are hard, but it doesn't mean we're not loving that. In fact, those hard things are actually loving in the end. Yeah. I was talking to a lady about this, um, Saturday who came to Harlem to this outreach and we were just talking about she was so interested in God and the Bible she's like tell me more (laughs) I was like okay you know and uh it was it was awesome and we talked about that verse in the Bible that you know when someone basically goes to judgment they said look look at all these great things I did I cast out devils I you know I prophesied or whatever and God said I don't know you get out of here you know, and that is crazy because what they're saying is they were doing the kind of things that, you know, we were talking about coming from the faith world or charismatic world. Mm-hmm. We think of kind of the advanced spirituality or faith filled people is yeah prophesying or healing or miracles, right? You right. Think, oh, they've got it together. I mean, look, wow. But those people even some of them went to heaven and God was like, no. You I don't even know who you are. I don't know you. Isn't that interesting? And so if if folks, so we can even be religious and not know Jesus and not follow Jesus and not really love, but have all the trappings of looking super spiritual. Mm. And so I told the lady, I was like, that's not what it's about. You know, I didn't want her to think that there was some kind of religious, well, if you check all these boxes kind of thing, that's like, it's all about following Jesus mm-hmm. and really doing what he wants and loving him and loving people. Right. Uh, not looking the right way, in other words. So it was, um, it's something that's convicting because there's, think how many times we haven't been loving in our own marriage, mm-hmm. to our own kids, to our neighbors. Right. I mean, we always try, but think of all the times we haven't. 
and you know we're covered by God's grace but he also he's he's he wants us to grow into people who shine a light and represent and look like him and so we're we're pretty hardcore about our our, our but when you're talking about loving yeah. are you saying accepting of everything i mean is loving does loving mean that you accept everything or, or what, to, do you, what do you mean by that to me loving is affirming somebody's worth and honoring them and treating them like gold whether no matter how they look how they act what what is going on there and what that means is if, if we go deep with people if we befriend people obviously we're going to build trust and in that trust we're going to ha- have because we invest in their lives we're going to have the the permission of that person to speak even uh, about some of the hard things and to be able to talk about the difficult things and hold each other accountable, you know, to is something wrong in your life there? You know, is that really working for you? Mm -hmm. Is that the right thing to do? Really? You know, let's talk about it. We're friends, right? Right. And we can talk about anything, your lifestyle, your religion, right? Your money, what you do uh, sexually, whatever. We can talk about that because they know I really care about them. Right. I'm not there to put them down and be condescending, but you have to earn that. Right. And you have to earn it through love. Right. So they know you, I, you really care about them, whether they decide what you, you know, agree with your beliefs or not. Right. That you, you really respect them where they're at. I think you and I both do this. We have friends from all different lifestyles, all different situations where we have good relationships mm-hmm. and love them and they love us. But we don't necessarily agree with their choices, right? Um, even with our kids or people we know. You know, we don't agree with their choices, sure. but we love them and have a great relationship with them. But the way that we believe is biblical, and through the biblical lens, there's not sometimes, you know, it's not something that we would choose to do. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't mean we don't love them, accept them, and care about them. Um, but I think also the reality is it's okay to agree to disagree. Like just because we don't mm-hmm. agree with someone doesn't mean we hate them or don't like them. Yeah. It just means we don't agree and that's okay. Well, Jesus was a friend to sinners and yet everybody knew what Jesus stood for. He was very clear. I mean, he literally was teaching he was like a great rabbi, right? And they knew, okay, this is a great man of God, whether they believe he's the son of God or not. Maybe some of them got it, some of them didn't. But they knew like, hey, we've never heard anybody talk like this before. Mm-hmm. Like he talks with authority. Yeah. He means what he says. He, he's not wishy-washy. He stands for something. Right. And so I think if we're following Jesus, yeah, we have to stand for something. It may not be popular. It may even get you crucified. Mm. But there's a way that's right. And mm. there's a way that's good. And we're pretty determined to walk in that, but humbly. Right. Humbly. Humbly is important yeah. and lovingly and humbly yeah. following yeah. God. Yeah. Well, okay. That was a lot of talk. <laughs> <laughs> well, once we get talking about Jesus stuff, I mean, we could go all day. On and on and on. Because that's our life. That's who we are. That's what we have in common that's more than anything. That's what we have in common more than anything. In fact, I think that's probably what we talk about the most mm-hmm. throughout our marriage is we talk about God. And And we read the Bible almost every day together. Yeah. We have a little chair in the kitchen that's soft and it's like a chocolate brown. And we sit there and Juan says, let me read the Bible to you. And he makes me coffee and he puts it in my hand while I'm sleepy. 
and he reads me the Bible when we sit there together, and that's really nice that we do that. And sometimes we'll read a devotional a little bit. Um, we don't really pray. We don't usually pray together. We're not big prayer togethers. I prayed for you today. You did? And you're having those heart pains. Oh, man, that was rough. <laughs> Thanks. You're welcome. So anyway, that's what we have in common, and... Even though I don't play video games or play guitar, and you're not really into kayaking or hiking. Sh- wearing hiking boots, <laughs> we still tend to get along because we have that one thing that I think is the most important thing to have in common in a marriage or a dating relationship. It, the Bible talks about being evenly yoked. Mm. And you and I, we do believe the same way. Yeah. And that's been really golden because everything else can be shaken in our life and falling apart. But our relationship with God is really the glue that has kept us together through all the difficult times that we've had. So true. Yeah. I think that's the thing we have the most in common. I think you landed on it. Yeah, for sure. So I hope you find that too. And uh, I'm not sure what your relationship with God is. Maybe you're far from him right now. Maybe you used to know him. Maybe you've never known Jesus, but I encourage you, uh, the best way to get to know who Jesus is, is to open up the Bible, and at the very last one-fourth of it, it's called the New Testament, and there's lots of stories about Jesus, and just start reading it for yourself. And by the way, nowadays, you don't need to open a book, you just get the Bible app, uh, and you can have it read to you while you're going to sleep or you can look at it or watch the movie of the Bible. There's all different ways to get the Bible now. And I think the best way to get to know who Jesus is, is just to check him out for yourself. And if you are in a dating relationship or you are married, uh, maybe you're married to someone who's not a believer. And that's really difficult because you don't share that. You've already made that decision. You're already married. You're already committed. And so, you know, the Bible says to pray for your spouse and to that that they'll know the Lord through how you love them. Mm-hmm. And I think sometimes Christians tend to get condescending or angry at their spouse who's not a believer. And they don't mean to, but it happens over time. They can get bitter. It happens in every relationship. And it's important to demonstrate acceptance and love of that person. And as you unconditionally love them and dote on them and just, you know, bathe them in in and compassion and and passion uh, outside the bedroom and in the bedroom and love them and love Jesus, that's going to be the thing that's going to bring them to God, not you telling them what to do and being their mother. Because one thing I learned from my sister is your husband doesn't need a mother. He needs a lover. (laughs) Amen. (laughs) So I encourage you out there, if you're far from God, to give him a try or if your relationship, whoever you choose to date, if you haven't picked someone yet, if uh, missionary dating doesn't usually end well. So try to find someone who believes the same as you do. I think that's a good rule of thumb. And it's also what the Bible says to do. Be equally yoked. Yes. Yeah. Find somebody. This is, this is my, it worked for me. Find somebody who's more on fire for God than you are. Because <laughs> you're going to end up being like them. You know, you're going to affect each other. You're going to influence each other. So that's what attracted me to you and uh, best decision I ever made because you've definitely helped me to know Jesus better and to change and to uh, love people more and and all that. So I learned so much from you. So um, my advice is find another Tracy, guys. (laughs) 
wherever she is out there. But a healthy one. He's not sick all the time. That would be <laughs> ideal. Yeah, I'll take it. All right. Well, it's been fun. Yeah. Well, stay tuned. Next time we're going to do question number nine. Thanks for listening, guys. Vaya con Dios. Mm-hmm.